Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and click on the Listen tab. There you can download the Crosswalk Notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. Philippians chapter 4 is going to be where we are this morning. I'm going to read it for you. But before I do that, before I read it, I want to start with a little background about myself. I think some of you know that my, my heritage is Scottish and Irish, and so I've always felt a natural draw to things that are um, Irish and Scottish, the history, Celtic music, and there's a, a, a pretty cool thing from Irish history that really illustrates well the question that we're going to be trying to answer today about God. So, if you go and you study a little bit of Irish history, you'll, you'll learn that there are these two cups that sort of uh, relate well the whole history of the Irish people. There's a cup called the Gunderstrup Cauldron. And this is a beautifully, gorgeously made silver chalice that was made, estimated one to 200 years before Christ was born. And on this beautiful Gunderstrop cauldron are all kinds of pictures that are in, in, in intended to indicate their worship and their gods. And on one of the panels of this cup is a cook god taking a, a human being who is clearly wriggling and writhing and holding this person, sorry for if there are any tender little ears in the room, but holding them over a, a boiling cauldron of oil. Now, can you imagine living in a culture that saw God as someone that is just merely, their whole point is to dangle you over a pot of boiling oil, and that your life is basically just squirming to try to get away from that. That picture really says God is a taker. God is ready to show his anger and wrath at a moment's notice. In fact, he wants to rule over you and make you feel the pain. Now fast forward about 10 centuries, 7800 AD, and there's another beautiful silver cup. No, no pictures on this cup, just some simple etchings and drawings on it. It's also made of silver, and it's also a chalice. This one is called the Ardoch Chalice. And the Ardoch Chalice is a communion cup. And this communion cup, so simple, so straightforward, and, and yet so beautifully carved in silver, is clearly meant to indicate that God is not asking for us to sacrifice, but reminding us that he has made the sacrifice for us. That he's given his body and his blood sacrifice them so that you and I could have forgiveness and new life and eternal salvation. That chalice is purely a gospel message in a chalice. 
And that chalice tells us something about God too. Not that God is a taker, but that the Christian God is a giver. And why is it so important for us to ask this question? And that's the question I want to start today's message with is, is God a giver or is God a taker? The reason is that often when I counsel people, still today I encounter people in my pastoral coaching that down deep are concerned that God might be a taker that are living their lives with a question mark in the back of their mind and maybe all the way down at the core of their heart is, is, is the reason, Pastor, that I'm going through this right now, these, these horrible sufferings and this trouble, that I, is God punishing me? Is God holding me over some torture, uh, his own little pot of oil because I did something wrong and God needs me to make a sacrifice for that. He, he needs to take something from me to make it even again. I, I think about the baptism that we just performed and as how Ryan and Tanya were waiting eight long years, they could so easily have thought of God as a taker and lost their hope. Probably none of you knows this, but one of the beautiful things about their story is that in the midst of, of waiting patiently for God to deliver Olivia to them, Tanya started a website where she processed some of her very honest emotions, but this website also became a place where she could give and encourage other families who were going through similar situations to hang in there and hope and, and wait on God's timing. You see, you, you can't do that if down deep you believe that God is a taker, not a giver. And so it's, it's so important that all of us answer this question. Because of the troubles that we're going through that may lead us to think God God might be taking from us or because of worries about the future. If God is a taker, I'm even more worried about the future than if I believe down deep in my heart, I can be assured of my future, even my eternal future, because at the very bottom of everything, at the very core of everything, our God is a giver. So with that introduction, let's take a look at these words. And then we're, I'm going to read through them all and then I want to break them down. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of our acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. 
For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Will you take your pen and underline that verse, verse 19? And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. I love that passage. If there's ever a passage to be memorized, to help you remember that God is a giver, that's a great passage. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. I'll give you a little background to this passage as we dive in. First of all, understand that as Paul is writing to the Philippians, he is chained to a Roman guard. He is likely no longer being held in a Roman prison cell, but in some uh, very modest, small apartment in the city of Rome. Uh, these are events that happen after the book of Acts, but we're aware of them because of these letters that Paul wrote, several letters, which we call the prison epistles that he wrote during his uh, being detained in Rome, wait, awaiting trial before Nero. He was being tried on charges that had been trumped up going all the way back to Jerusalem and uh, a riot that started there. We're not going to get into that whole story. But he appealed to Caesar, was carted off to Rome, and his life was not a pleasant life at this, at this stage. In those days, prisoners had to come up with their own means of existence. And so without the help and support of Christians around the city of Rome, Paul would have starved to death. And he had no freedom. And so life was for Paul at one of the lowest ebbs of his entire lifetime. And yet, it's amazing to think that in those circumstances, as, as limited and as in need as Paul the Apostle could have thought of himself, he says these words, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. And he's writing to a congregation, Philippi, that was one of the first congregations that he, he started as he moved from Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, into Macedonia, which is still known as Macedonia today in northern Greece. And Philippi was one of the cities there, a Roman colony, and, and uh, he started a church there. And then troubles ensued, as they often did. Paul went on, and he landed in the next town called Thessalonica, and already, before he left Thessalonica, the Philippians had made a collection for Paul to support his ministry and his ongoing journey so he could evangelize new cities, and they sent that gift to Paul. Now, fast forward 10 or 11 years later. That's where we are today, 10 or 11 years after the, the founding of the Philippian congregation, 
And the Philippians have been through a lot. The reason we know about this is Paul writes about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, and he talks about their having gone through a period of extreme poverty, but yet at the same time, while they were going through extreme poverty, their heart was filled with faith, and he says, your extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. They were still being generous people still loving to share and to give. But clearly, as we read here, for whatever the reasons might have been, it wasn't that they were lacking in generosity. Maybe they hadn't yet found this man, Epaphroditus, who would carry their gift. Uh, maybe, maybe they had to focus in on their own survival for a little while due to what was going on with the poverty. They had not been able to reconnect Paul, and many, scho many scholars believe it was probably three, four, maybe five years since Paul had really received anything of substance from the Philippians. And that's why he says, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. After all these years, you sent Epaphroditus to help serve me here in Rome. You sent a, a gift to support me so that I can buy food and have the things I need for life. Um, indeed, you were concerned, Paul says. I know that you had me in your heart, but I also understand this. You had no opportunity to share it. Now, as we read on down, though, do you get the message loud and clear, especially as you read verse 19, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus? Why does Paul say that so confidently? He's basically saying to the Philippians, I want to thank you for this gift, but realize even if you had not sent me this gift, God never left me. And the reason that, that I've been able to to have an attitude of patience while I waited is because God, Jesus Christ was always right here by my side, meeting all my needs in all this journey and in all my imprisonment. And now I want to share back with you, A, thank you for this gift, but know that no matter what you're going through, our God will meet all our needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. I want you to write this in. God is a giver. He loves to shower us with generosity. God is a giver. That's why the chalice changed in Irish history. Because the Irish needed to have a way to tangibly show our pagan gods, oh my goodness, how did we ever follow those gods who were all takers? When we now have found the true God who is this generous giver and loves to shower us with his generosity. Paul wrote a different letter to a congregation in Galatia. Look what he says. He, he emphasizes this point. How do I live my life now? The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. And, and he doesn't even just say gave blessings to me, but gave himself for me. That's the gospel, pure and simple. Jesus Christ sacrificed his life, bled his blood out on the cross, was willing to be crucified 
so that you and I could know the depth of God's love for us and the depth of God's forgiveness and the power of God's ability to give us life. He gave himself for me. Do you know how that changes everything for, for you, for me? I was, uh, during, the, during this whole process of getting our land uh, rezoned, and by the way, I know a number of you are wondering about progress about the land. I don't have time to share it today, but in the next week or two, I'm going to be sharing with you where we're at with the land. But one of the beautiful opportunities that, for me, came out of the purchase of the land was I got to meet and get acquainted with a, a number of people uh, that I wouldn't have gotten acquainted with. It, it widened my circle. And, and during the course of that, some of the people that I met, we, we ended up uh, connecting over lunch or over dinner just to talk. And uh, one person just noted, Pastor, you, you, it seems like you've always, there have been a lot of ups and downs in this. But I've never seen you seem real discouraged when it's, when it's down. I've, I've never seen you uh, real up when, it's, when, it, when it seems like it's going well. You just seem even keeled. Uh, can you share with me, this person asked, like, what's, what's behind, like, what's your philosophy of life? And, and the answer that I gave was that as a Christian, I believe that I deserve nothing, but that God has in his love given me everything. And therefore, every day when I wake up, and all throughout the day, and before I go to bed at night, the primary thought in my mind, it, think about this, belief one, I deserve nothing. Belief two, God in his love has given me everything. Add those together, what is it equal? What's the equation equal? I'm grateful. My heart is just like, if, if God decides to give us the land and have it rezoned, I'm grateful. And if God decides not to give us the land, and we, he'll give us another piece and it'll be a better piece. I'm, I'm grateful for whatever God is going to give me. And I can live every day in the peace knowing that I have a God who loves to generously give to me. And if there is one thing that I would wish for you, all of you, is, is to simply stop thinking of life as something that constantly takes from you. To stop thinking of God as someone who loves to just like attach little strings to things and and jerk them away from you. Some of you have gone through some horrible losses in the last year. I, I understand that. And some of you have seen some setbacks in the past year. And I'm, I'm not saying not to think about those things in, in, in a sort of logical way or not to feel some grief and sorrow after, after you've experienced losses. You see, often we, we think that the way to approach loss is to block it out, to, to compartmentalize it away, to, to bracket it and say, I'm not going to think about this loss. The Bible doesn't suggest that. When Jesus lost his friend Lazarus, do you know what he did? He wrote the shortest verse in the Bible. It's Jesus wept. <laughs> he cried. 
And it was appropriate for him to mourn and grieve and cry. He thought about the loss of his friend Lazarus, and it hurt. So often, Christians are portrayed as people who don't think. That we simply unreasonably and illogically block things out. If you look carefully at what Paul is doing here, he's not not thinking. He's absolutely thinking, but he's guiding what he thinks about. He's choosing the thoughts. And what, what is the thought? The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I may be in prison. I may be detained. I may be constantly changed to this guy. I may not know where my next meal is coming from, but I live my life by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. God is a giver. Secondly, faith that God is a giver gives us patience. It changes our attitude. It gives us patience when we are waiting for his help. Paul writes in verse 10 of what we read earlier, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Paul's attitude is, is one of constant joy. Joy, that word joy just filters all the way through this entire letter. And why could Paul's attitude be one that was so filled with, with joy in that situation? Well, it, it, it's simply this, that when Paul says, I've learned the secret of being content, which he's going to say in just a moment, we're going to cover that. He's really saying, I've learned that the best way for me is not to listen to my thoughts, if I, if I am merely in the position of listening to my thoughts, then whatever thoughts come into my mind, I, I have made myself the victim of those thoughts. My self-talk, whether it's I'm high or I'm low or wherever I am, is going to influence how, I, how my day plays out. So what Paul's really telling us is, I've learned that it's best for me not just to listen to my thoughts or listen to my heart wherever it wants to lead me, but I've learned through the scripture to speak to my heart. I've learned to speak to my mind and speak to my thoughts and say this inner self-talk that constantly goes through my mind, I can either just let it be. This is why in our culture... People say to themselves, well, it's, it's love. I can't control who I love. And all sorts of bad stuff happens after, out of, I, I can't control who I love. Love is love, and it just comes. And what Paul would say is, you can choose. The Holy Spirit has entered you, and you can you can choose the thoughts that you think about a person that you love. And, and when you do that, it's amazing what can happen. Think about the person, let's flip it around, who's already married. 
And over the course of marriage, as always happens in marriage, hurts are caused. And now you have a choice. Is the thought going to be, I've been hurt? Things are not squared away here. They need to pay for, for the, the things they've hurt me. They need to correct what they've done to hurt me. I don't forgive them. And furthermore, until they start getting things right, I'm, I, my love is going down and down and down. Or you could say, despite the hurts, because maybe you've caused some hurts too. I can choose my thinking in this way. I can choose to look at my husband or my wife and see his or her good qualities. I can choose to look to God and say, thank you for the amazing qualities that you've put in that person and for the fact that you've given me that person. If you want to run a Thanksgiving Day experiment, coming out of today's message, between now and Thanksgiving Day, how about if you just said, I, instead of just listening to my heart, I'm going to speak to my heart. And the thing I'm going to speak to my heart is going to be about this, this spouse that God has given me. or this. It doesn't have to be a spouse. It could be a friend. It, it, it could be a mom or a dad. And, and I am going to tell my heart to look carefully for the things I can be grateful for for this person. And I'm going to express those things to them. And I'm going to express those things about them to someone else. Do you know what, what the greatest compliment is? Paul is saying thank you to the Philippians. But when he writes to the Corinthians, he says thank you about the Philippians. To the Corinthians. The greatest compliment is, is when you start talking great stuff about the person you love in your life when they're not even in the room. And then somewhere down the line, that person goes, you know, your husband was saying, what a great X, Y, or Z you are. That is awesome when that happens. And that's how Thanksgiving can work. When we tell ourselves the thankful thoughts that God wants us to have. Notice what Paul says at the top of page two. We do not want you to become lazy but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. Through faith and patience, we discover gratitude. So that is such a beautiful thing. And when we discover gratitude, we discover joy. As Paul said, I rejoice greatly while I was patiently waiting for your gift to arrive. Next point. Faith that God is a giver helps us to be content no matter the external circumstances. Now, this word content, that is a huge word. Especially in our culture today. Everything around you is designed to make you discontent. You walk into a store. Do you have this? You buy something new. Has this ever happened to you? I, I just bought a program for my computer to better uh, be able to study uh, my, my Bible and prep these messages, and it comes with all these downloadable books and research resources, and I absolutely love it. Two months after I bought Logos 6.0, I got an email saying, hey, pastor, you're behind. Logos 7.0 just came out. <laughs> Has that ever happened to you? 
You buy something and, you, and you're like told, you will never need anything else. This is it. Buy this car. It is the car of your dreams. You will never need another one. And then two years later from the dealer, you get a letter that says, have you seen this year's version of that car? It's amazing. And it has all kinds of stuff that, that wasn't on your car. Sorry, you might need to think about a new car now. Our whole world is designed to make us feel discontent. Paul says, I've learned to be content whatever my circumstances are. I've learned to be satisfied. I've learned how to be, this word literally in the original language means I've learned how to live independently of anything or anyone else leaning on God alone. It's an amazing, amazing word. I am not saying this because I am in need, Paul says. Understand, I appreciate your gift, he tells the Philippians. But did I need it? I had all I needed before it arrived. I'll have all I need after I've used it. And I'm not saying this to indicate that I'm not grateful. I'm extremely grateful. But let me teach you for a moment that this is something I want you to cultivate, Philippians. And if he were here today, he would say, this is something I want you to cultivate, crosswalkians, to be content, whatever the circumstances, whether well-fed or in need or whatever's going on in life, know that you are walking with God who is a giver. And put your heart at rest. Do you see the title of today's message? Restful Hearts. That's what God wants for you is a heart that is restful because it's not always discontented and grumbling and looking at what you don't have. Instead, looking at the fact that you have God who is a giver. Through faith in Jesus Christ, you have him. And and there could be no blessing that's greater than that because God is the source of all things. And so if you carry around the source of all things in your pocket, which you do, when you need something, you can tell him. And he will hear you. That's his promise to us. See what Paul said? Why can I be joyful? Why can I be content? Because I know that God is with me. Right here, he's with me all the time. And I don't have to worry. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Faith that God is a giver inspires us to be generous and share in the troubles of others. That's the next point. So restful heart. Paul had a restful heart. But now he says, we all have busy hands. I'm grateful for the fact that you guys put your hands to work. You decided Paul's having a hard time. Let's share in his troubles. So it's kind of a, a, a little bit of opposites that we want our hearts to be at rest while we want our hands to be busy. But that's what Paul's saying here. Look at, look at what he writes. He says, Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once, when I was in need, they got busy. And they collected an offering for the Apostle Paul. Write this down. Faith that God is a giver inspires us to be generous and share in the troubles of others. 
Faith that God is a giver inspires us. We see God's generosity and we say, man, I want to imitate that. I want to I want to say thank you for Jesus. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for all the things you've done for me, God. And so I'm going to get my hands busy. Why as a church do we constantly focus outward into our community? Why do we create, for example, a safe place for children to trick or treat here in our community? Why do we attempt to feed almost a thousand people and feed a family? Why do you individually, and I, I, I get every now and then a little whisper of things that people do individually, why do you see needs in your own neighborhood, in your own family, amongst your friends, and you don't just ignore them, but you say to yourself, you know what? I need to pay attention to this person. They've got a need. They've got a hurt. The reason we do that is so simple. It is because we know that our God, who is a giver, not a taker, saw our need, saw our hurt, and sees our need and sees our hurt daily. One of the things that I, I so appreciate, and I know they hate me holding them up, but Ryan and Tanya, throughout those years, I'm not saying they never had their down moments. They, of course, who wouldn't? Remember what I said. We don't say don't think. We say do think. But as you do think, what I always saw about these guys was their love for God always led them back to what God decides is what's going to be cool, it's what's going to be best, and when God decides is what's going to be best. And they always came back to resting in God as a giver. I don't know if they put it that way to themselves, but that, that was the truth. And that needs to be the truth for us. And so now, what can I do to give myself away to help others? How can I get my hands busy? And so Tanya's hands got busy on the keyboard, sharing encouragement with others. Yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. Not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving. There were other Christians out there, Paul says, but they weren't sharing. And Paul, when he writes to Timothy, his fellow pastor says, this is something that's so important, I'm going to make it a command. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Give them this order from me. If you are a Christian, do good. If you're a Christian, be rich in good deeds. Be generous. Be willing to share. And you know I can't end this message and leap over love one another. We have this special offering where we are asking of you to give over and above your regular offering. To, to not take part of your regular offering and shift it over to the love one another offering, but to take something a little bit sacrificial over and above what you would put in your normal offering and, and, and say, God, I've, you've been with me all year long through my ups, through my downs, and I want to give a gift to this offering, 
both because you've put my heart at rest, but also because I want my hands busy to share and, and help others. Here's the final point. Faith that God is a giver draws us to worship and glorify God for all the grace he constantly shows us. Look at what Paul says at the end here. You guys in Philippi, you probably regarded this as sending a gift to me. But, but let's go behind the veil and look at it from God's perspective. God sees it as a gift sent to him. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Man, Paul says, when you sent this gift to me, know that that was like God just overwhelmed with this sweet-smelling sacrifice that you sent to him. And he loves it. He smiles when he sees your generosity. And it is worship to him. And it is an indication that you do truly and fully understand the grace that caused him to send his son Jesus Christ for you. This gift, this generosity is feeding back for the first generosity that God has shown to all of you. As you um, get ready for Thursday, I don't know what you're thinking about. Maybe where's the turkey going to be made? Whose house are we visiting? Who's coming over to our house? Are we having cranberry sauce this year? What about that green jello? Stuffing or no stuffing? Those are all the things that run through our mind. Am I going to be able to put up with Uncle Joe for four hours? Here's what I want you to be thinking about through Thursday this week. God is a giver. God is a giver. God is a giver and not a taker. How will that thought run through your mind and your heart regularly so that your heart can be at rest, and so that your hands get busy. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, you are, you are a giver. You have graced us by giving us your one and only son. You've given us forgiveness, new life, eternal salvation. You've given us all, all, all the things we need to live in this life. You've given us our our emotions and our reason, the list goes on and on and on and on, giving us beautiful people to go through life with. And Lord, as we ponder that, we are so grateful and we are so thankful. We ask you to help us remember that you are a giver every day, to wake up with that thought in our hearts and on our minds that our God is a giver and let that thought cause our hearts to be at rest. And let that thought make our hands busy so that we can be reflections of your generosity out into this world. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. So before we close, if you would like to hear more messages, head over to CrosswalkPhoenix.com or come and see us. 
Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now, some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. Have you ever noticed a child's instinct when a friend comes and tries to take something from them? I have. It's like, no, give it back to me. That's an instinct that we all have when we feel that things are being taken from us is we want to grab and hold on even harder and pull it into ourselves. And the only thing that can overcome that is if we believe in our heart of hearts that the person we're going through life with doesn't want to take from us but give to us. I I want you to keep thinking this thought all week long. God is a... Let's say it louder. God is a giver. He is. And that's going to put your heart at rest, and it's going to make you willing to be more generous toward others. Let let me send you out into your week with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen.